Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, uh, here to have the first of a series of episodes that I really liked doing last year, and we're going to continue the uh, uh, tradition this year by talking about two players at a time, our expectations for the coming season, what would make a good season for that player, what would make a great season for that player. I've left that definition up to the individual guests. We're going to have a whole slew of different people doing these, so get a lot of different perspectives on, uh, on, on these hopes for individual players and position groups rather than just having position group shows. Anyway, joining me tonight to talk about the first two players is Josh Reed. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing great, Ken. Many times on the show now. You've probably done close to 20 pods on this show, I'm thinking. Uh, last year you mentioned you had likely and who was your Patrick, other player? Uh, Patrick Queen. Okay. That's a good one. Nice, lively discussion about that. I bet. Um, and, uh, this year we're going to talk about Ben Cleveland and Justin Matabike. Yeah. Two of the big boys, man. I love, I love getting into trench warfare, especially two guys that could play pivotal roles for the Ravens this year. Yeah. Both very important, uh, players, I think in the Ravens scheme, but let's go ahead and start with Ben Cleveland. And uh, kind of a disappointing 2022. Uh, he began, came to camp overweight, having just got married. And the team did something they do not normally do, which is publish his higher weight level with the roster. So they had him published at 370 pounds, which is kind of a move that indicates to me they're trying to embarrass him about his conditioning. It took him several days before he's able to pass that conditioning test yeah yeah that's, that's something you really don't see especially for like you know like a team with such a young player but you know if, like is this is what it takes to kind of you know get the guy like hey you know get the literal sand out of your pants and you know and, and <laughs> it, it, uh, because it, it, it's crazy when you look at his physique you're like oh man this is a mountain of a man real chiseled you think this guy's like always in shape right but you know 
all all weight is all muscles and good muscle all the time you know so you may see a big beefy dude but if you can't move and you know meet those conditioning test marks then in the ravens it's like or i would say notorious but they're known for having one of the tougher conditioning tests in the, in the entire league so you gotta know what you know what to expect coming into it, especially you know year two. It's not like you're a rookie; you don't know what you're going into. You know your guys been a year in the league and and um you know we're fighting for a starting job. So you thought you'd come into their coming to come into the second year ready to go. Um, I don't think he'll have that problem this this year around. I think you know the, the message got through, and you know mm-hmm. there's there's no wedding excuse this time. Um, I know I know people can especially when you especially when you have when you have the kind of resources that NFL players have you can you can tend to overindulge yourself when you go on on on, on trips and stuff like that. So um, you know, so I'm not I'm not cutting the glide no slack because at the end of the day you're a professional. But you know, this time this this time around, I don't think we'll have that problem with Ben Cleveland. Yeah, I, I would agree. And and reports from the uh, off season activities are that he has come in looking much more chiseled in terms of of where he is. I'm sure Harbaugh is very happy about that. Uh, he certainly was very salty about what happened last year. In a lot of ways, you know, Cleveland is Harbaugh's guy. As I recall it on draft night, he's one of the players. You know, Duvernay was another one of Harbaugh's guys, but he has he has you know some specific second and third round guys that DaCosta seems to to uh, be willing to let him have an elevated say in. We'll say that seems to be where a lot of these guys get drafted. And Cleveland is a guy who, uh, you know, I think Harbaugh was very excited to get and obviously very disappointed with, with the way last year started out. Then uh, no, no, his, his situation didn't get any easier because while he was supposed to be fighting for a left guard job, in fact, one he might have taken, Ben Powers then went off and had one hell of a season. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. It's one of those like whenever you whenever you see the the ES, if people on ESPN talking about the Ravens, you know, even they met the last year when they were doing the projected depth charts, it was always Ben Cleveland just automatically penciled in at left at left guard. Now while they have him penciled in there, like the Ravens don't give any, they're not going to give any jobs away. They don't care where you got drafted or how much you're getting paid. They're going to play the best starting five, whether it's the guy they're paying. You know, twenty something million to and Ronnie Stanley, which is you know he is the best and works the hardest. So you don't got to worry about that. Or like they don't care if you got drafted, you know, in the third round just a year ago or a year or two ago. If you get played, if you get outplayed by a guy who's entering the fourth year of his contract, like a Ben Powers or even a, a drafted free agent, former drafted free agent like a Patrick McCarry, then you're just going to get outplayed and they're going to start that guy over you. And like, I I really appreciate that because you don't see that with all teams across the league. Some teams will keep riding the the, the high drafted pedigree guys until the wheels fall off, literally. And I'm just glad the Ravens are one of those teams that um, they firmly believe in the best starting five is going to play. And that's what they do. Right. Uh, in in the case of Cleveland, his pedigree was not high enough that he, 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 he should have been given the job ever. But I'm still a little surprised at the way Harbaugh talked about the 2023 camp battle. And he almost literally mentioned each of the other players in the race who are not an impressive group. Patrick McCary who has his own issues with being a smaller finesse guard next to another finesse player like Linderbaum. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Daniel Faolele moving in from tackle already. First of all, it's really not exciting that Faolele is not staying at right tackle. Now, obviously, he didn't have a great rookie year by, by any stretch of the imagination, but you'd think they'd at least be projecting him there, but that's one of the first names they mentioned. They mentioned Simpson as being a guy who might move in and play guard. And then they finally mentioned Cleveland. Well, of those names, Cleveland is the obvious choice of, you know, from, from where I'm sitting. And if it doesn't work out that way, okay. But, but, you know, say Ben Cleveland's going to have 
you know, his attempt to, to win this. And they say, but I would also figure Patrick McCary, Simpson, and Falele all getting their shots during during camp and, and the preseason. If they said it like that, no problem. But they said it basically inverted that, that you know, it, it, Cleveland is almost the afterthought name. Yeah, and then what also kind of threw me, threw me for a loop was when he said that they've been working Ben Cleveland at, at right tackle, and I was like, okay, you know what? This is this is OTAs. This is the time you kind of want to get guys experimenting, kind of like I wouldn't say because uh, the equivalent to routes on air for receivers, right? For linemen mm-hmm. during this time at this this period of time, you kind of see this guy have the footwork to work this side of the line at this position. So like uh, when you hear guys who are normally interior guys exclusively trying out a right tackle. Or, or left tackle, you're like, huh, that's, that's kind of funny, but that's just the coaching staff kind of experimenting. This is the time of year to do it. Once mandatory mini camp and training camp comes, that's when the experimenting kind of has its upside. And you kind of have these guys rotating in with the ones and the twos, or even the threes, um, at, at the positions that you want them to be fighting for. So yeah. I didn't read I didn't read too much into that. And, you know, having him at right to, at, you know, experiment with him at right tackle just because Ravens love positional versatility among all their offensive linemen. And I know that, you know, they're, they're working a bunch of guys at a different spots. So, like, that that, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. But the fact that, you know, he's, he's, he's speaking more glowingly about John Simpson in particular and Falele at, when it comes to his left guard competition, even dating back to the a- annual league meetings when he talked about, um, though, don't be surprised that you know, he's going to surprise some people or some surprise candidates, stuff like that. And, you know, they just, he just kept bringing those two guys up in particular. I'm not crazy about Falele moving into, um, moving into, uh, into guard. I just love him at right tackle. And like, I know they, you know, I know Jonathan Ogden played that one year at, at, at with the left guard before he moved to re- the left tackle. But, you know, for a guy who goes from, career right tackle and he's still relatively new to the game of football like I, i'm just not i'm not crazy about him moving inside um and he got graded you know granted yeah his, he's a big guy and then he'll get that that road grader label slap slapped on him but i'd much rather you know him be groomed as a potential right tackle of the future um than you know than a left guard for 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 now especially if you have other candidates who are more natural at that position yeah, it's it's a little bit like turning your starting pitcher prospects into relievers early in their career career to move guys from tackle to guard at all. But you know, you don't want your swing, your 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 tackles to be really swing men who are really guards, but they'll play tackle in an emergency. You just that's not ideal at at all. And I do think it makes a lot of sense to put a very big body next to Linderbaum. I think that you, you, you basically get an extra benefit from Linderbaum's quickness uh, that, that you can really capitalize on if you, if you have a massive man next to him. And the Ravens are potentially for the next two years could be in great shape on that. If Cleveland is the guy for years three and four of his contract, you know, this year they'll have Zeitler again. Next year, I would project that that Voris is going to be the starting right guard for for the Ravens. If everything, if they don't have another big acquisition, another big draft pick at the position, I think he's the most natural one to come in. He'll have a four year period. He's an older rookie anyway. He's also you know being delayed a year, probably on NFI for the entire year, which is going to pre- relieve the Ravens with four years of eligibility or four years of, on the initial contract for him. So that's a potentially very exciting player uh, that, that I think can come in, has the upper body strength to really be a right guard and the, and the, the decent length to do that as well. So I really like what, what Voris brings to the table. Uh, and, and I think having Voris in Cleveland uh, you know, on either side, bracketing Linderbaum is going to really help and really accentuate what Linderbaum could do for you on a football field. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited about Voorhees too, man. Um, but I, I, but if, if Cleveland doesn't really seize the opportunity, and even if he doesn't win the job, but like puts up a valiant effort in this, like if he doesn't, I mean, because they also got a guy, in, you know, in in Ma in Masala, Amovai mm-hmm. Leulu, got that got that pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I, I know I know it's Salah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big old Salah. I mean, he's a guy who's capable of playing right tackle and right guard too. So like, if, if Ben Cleveland doesn't doesn't you know. Kind of like you know, doesn't prove his pedigree, but like showed that the Ravens that you know he he can be a you know quality starter if not premier uh, you know primary backup. And this is a guy who you know a year who know how like I mean Joe D really seems to be fond of Salah. Who knows how quickly mm-hmm. that guy can develop a year from now? And you could be like if they don't bring back Zeitler, then he could be in a, in a in a fight again this time next year for the right guard position, you know, or the or the left guard position. I don't know which 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 side they're gonna play for he's on because I know he played both left and right guard in um. In, in in college, so um, he's a guy that like I said, if Cleveland doesn't 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 show up this this training camp, he's a guy that could be in jeopardy. If they potentially, he could be a, like a he could be the next Ben Powers as far as a guy goes into year four be. as 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 a potential bubble guy, and then maybe that might be the final you know kick in the ass that he needs to um turn not not so really turn his career around, but like really uh, realize his potential. Yeah, I, I agree. And we, if we look back in terms of how I graded him, let's start with that. For 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 Pittsburgh, against Pittsburgh, he just played a few snaps. I think it was 14 in week 14. He gave up two-thirds of a sack in that game. Had some incredible run-blocking snaps. Some great double teams set up by Linderbaum or with Linderbaum where he moved the man like exactly what we hoped we were getting with Ben Cleveland. And we just – that – that game's run blocking alone. He had some pass blocking mistakes, including two thirds of a sack allowed of that game as I scored it, but looked fantastic as a run blocker. If you want to look back at that game, then he had that very solid week 18 start at Cincinnati played the whole game. Uh, he might've missed a snap or two, but he basically played the whole game uh, graded out as a solid C by my system. I, I, I think PFF had him graded reasonably well on that uh, game as well. Then gave up two thirds of a quarterback hit in only three snaps in the wild card loss. So didn't really get another chance in the playoffs. Uh, to stick it at left guard, you wouldn't expect it because Powers obviously was was coming back at that point. Uh, but anyway, very little to go on in total. That one start, pretty good. There certainly flashes against Pittsburgh, but boy, that's you. You wish he had had kind of more to go on out of his second season after really getting a, a bigger trial in his first year. Yeah, yeah, you know, he was rotating with, with, with Ben Powers and as, as a rookie. And the thing about Cleveland, man, is like the flashes that he puts on tape, especially if it comes to run blocking, are, are, are brilliant. They're beautiful. They, they get they, they kind of suck you in. I'm like, man, this guy could, be, could really be something. But, you know, like I, I, I said, I, I'm not at the facility. I'm not, you know, part of, part of the team. But, you know, like, like it seems to me that Harbaugh is really a big practice guy. If you're not a guy that shows out on practice, you're not going to see the field on Sundays. So if, if Ben Cleveland can translate what those, those take those flashes that he's shown in spurts and in, in a rotational role, because I think with last year he was like like, uh, like first half, second half with, with Ben Power or something like that. It was like, it was like every other – I remember it was like every other drive or like every few drives that they were switching out before he got hurt because he was like kind of in and out of the lineup as, as a rookie. But he's a guy that like if you can take the consistency that you sh- that you show in those in those flashes into practice, I feel like he'll earn that earn that spot. And that's the, that's the kind of thing that I feel like he really needs to do heading into year three. I think there are, there are questions and this all, this comes up a lot with Harbaugh. It's one of the things he can't stand in a player, which is what it, why it bothers me so much that he was so chips in the pot in terms of uh, drafting him originally. But if he doesn't love people who don't love the game of football, 
he's just not real big on. And and I, I the game obviously always came pretty easy to Cleveland based on his size. True of a lot of college players, and I know you can't coach that. But when you get to the NFL and you get against bigger, stronger men, it's a new challenge, both physically and oftentimes mentally, for these guys just just to keep the focus, to keep it going. I don't I don't really see any excuse for it, but but you know I've got some expectations for this year. I think I want to talk about. So we didn't really define what this means, but I'm going to tell you what it means to me in terms of what a good season and a great season is. For the good season, I'd set a 60th percentile result as far as I would consider it. For the a great season, an 80th percentile results. In both cases, that we're looking at kind of an above average season. Um, but you define it however you want. And tell me for you, what would make a good season for Ben Cleveland? I mean, a good season would just, you know, win the starting job. You know, win the starting job, even if it goes down to the last last week of the preseason, you know, win, win that job. Prove, prove to this team and to Coach Hardball that you deserve that starting left guard spot and hold on to it. Hold on to it and stay healthy and perform and then consistently show some of those flashes that you put on tape in the past, you know, through a full 16-17 game slate. So I, you know, I really went back and forth a little bit in terms of what I would consider a good season. And I'm trying to figure out that where I think it will lean out percentile wise or play out percentile wise. And I couldn't, it's it's like him winning the starting job straight out, no questions asked, you know, kind of puts the job away. That's more than a 60th percentile result based on where the Ravens are right now, I'm afraid. So what I said is he makes it through whatever penance that John Harbaugh has set for him this year. And I don't know what that is. It may be sitting on the game for four or five years. And he did that with Orlando Brown. He, if you look back in the past, he's done it with other players as well, sitting them for a period of time. Tim Williams, it didn't work out for the pass rusher. He, he, you know, was unhappy about it, let it be known. And you know, he was gone, you know, in terms of, of, of not having a good work ethic that went with that in, in terms of other players, it has worked out. I think Orlando Brown is one we point to in terms of a guy who was obviously better than James Hurst right from the start of that 2018 season. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, he had to wait half a season to, to, to get his full uh, uh, shot in there. But anyway, uh, it, it worked out for him, obviously, and he's gone on to, to, to great things. In the case of, of uh, Cleveland, uh, after he makes it through whatever penance, I say he has to be the starter for at least half a season somewhere in the Ravens' offensive line. Don't know where that'll be. Don't know if it'll be right guard, left guard, because of injury, because of whatever. But he has to, he has to be a starter for, for some number of games. Obviously, it'd be ideal if it were not due to injury. It were due to his effectiveness. Um, and then the other portion of this is that there's he's effective enough in that play that there's hope for his future and the lingering questions about his feet primarily, which I think are where the, the big issues are with him right now, aren't front and center from where he plays. So, you know, he, if he, if he plays at left guard, he's going to have to pull a lot for this team. And, I, and I, we can't have an issue where he's tripping over people or he's, you know, Frankenstein ash in terms of his movement, such that he's too slow. His athleticism is at a higher level than Ben Powers. It's at a higher level than Bradley Bozeman by far. And it just, it seems to me a guy like that should be able to learn the technical movements necessary to keep his feet clean and get moving quickly with a good coach like Joe D to work with. 
Yeah, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, athleticism doesn't always translate to on-the-field play. You know, you mm-hmm. have guys that, that can jump out the gym and, and throw around weight in the, in, in the weight room, but, but when it comes time to playing ball and doing the things that you need to technically succeed at the you know at your craft, you know, some guys just can't make that translation of, of, of that power, that speed, that athleticism, you know, to, to, to the actual application of, of what they need to do on the field. I'm not I'm not saying that the Cleveland's one of those guys, but sometimes it can take some guys longer than others to, you know, kind of put it all together. You know, like, man, you know, you see this guy has the tools, you see the flashes that he has, the potential that he has, but, you know, you got you to gotta put it all together. You got to put it all together and be consistent with it because the one thing a team won't tolerate is an inconsistent player because, you know, that can lead to injuries and, 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 and you know, un, unsound, unsound uh plays and pass protection when you can't get your 200 and 255 million dollar quarterback hurt because of what a guy doesn't know what he's doing unless he knows what he's doing or can't execute the play properly yeah i mean that's i 100 agree with that point about you know it doesn't always translate for players unfortunately you know adafi owe is another player on the ravens whose athleticism has not translated to as much on-field success as the ravens would have hoped and clearly gambled on with with the draft pick I uh, still think it could, but, you know, it, it just in this first two seasons so far, it really hasn't uh, uh, paid off in the way the Ravens would like. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what um, he's going to do with, with Chuck Smith now. I mean, yeah. I mean, having having that having a specialist. I mean, we've talked several times about guys getting specialized training on, you know, on the offseason. He's one of the guys that, you know, the best of the best would seek out and help hold their craft. And, and for him to be on the Ravens staff full time. I mean, the investments the Ravens have made on the coaching staff this offseason have me excited. Just, just about as excited as any as any other player acquisition that they've made. I mean, in addition to Todd Monken and Chuck Smith, um, it's just yeah, it's, I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, it definitely is a very big signing. So uh, let's let's move on to a great season. What makes a great season for Ben Cleveland? I mean, I don't put too much stock in in, in Pro Bowls, but you know, establishes himself as one of the upper echelon you know, like interior offensive linemen, guards in, in the game. And, you know, like I said, stay healthy the entire season. And, you know, like I said, maybe we make a Pro Bowl bid. Or if, even, I, I'd be, I mean, a great season to me. Even if you get second team all pro, that's still, that's still you know, uh, that's, the you know, it's in the realm of great, great stellar, stellar for me. But um, just like for a great season, just establishing himself as not just, not just an every game starter, but one of the, one of the better interior offensive linemen in the, in the league. Would be a uh, would be a great season for me in my well, that, that would certainly be great in my book, but I'd set the bar lower for him just because I think he's not in the greatest position just to start with. And I'll say his his starting job is never in serious doubt with his conditioning, his play in camp, and the preseason. So he goes through all that. There's no serious question about him being the starter. Then he has to be effective as a pass blocker. He doesn't have to be great. He just has to be effective enough as a pass blocker. Functional as a puller. Again, I'm not expecting him to be Bradley Bozeman. I'm not expecting him to be any of the other guys the Ravens had at left guard who've all done a pretty good job despite some pretty modest athleticism. That's that's all I want from him is basically to be able to fulfill that role. Just be quick enough to do it. Yeah, and I have. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, the last thing was he needs to demonstrate his power in the run game very thoroughly. I mean, it's, it's, it's his best asset. He's actually fallen backwards in a lot of areas as a pass blocker that he really excelled at Georgia. Uh, that's been very frustrating. So I, I just want to see, you know, the average level of proficiency as a pass blocker, I would accept. But as a run blocker, he's got to be right there helping Linderbaum uh, to create double team magic uh, on the inside. 
No, yeah, that was gonna be, but that was in my notes. I was like, you know, I was like, you know, regular highlight, regular combo block highlights with Tyler Linderbaum on a weekly basis. I want to see those guys putting guys into the, you know, the crust of the earth, and you know, and it's kind of like, you know, just stacking those pancakes and helping that young center out so that you can both. Because like when, because what people don't understand sometimes, like you know, when you when you a lot of times you see highlight blocks by a center, unless he's pulling center or guard let's pulling you know an open field like like Linder, like Linderbaum mm-hmm. was you know in that famous Devin White highlight where he's kind of walking the 15 yards downfield a lot of times the best offensive line highlights are are combo blocks or double yes. blocks where where the where the center and the guard both put a guy or you know like like, like when uh I think, I think there's a few times where Linderbaum and Powers kind of really did a great job of blocking DJ Reader for the Bengals and it's bringing guys open open on on the left side of the of offensive line. So just like helping helping Tyler Linderbaum be successful and taking his game to the next level will help him take his game to the next level. And and I also wrote down that being being uh Bradley Bozeman esque on on those pull blocks because I mean what was it twenty was twenty twenty every time every time Lamar had one of those huge runs up the middle. Um, it was always like Tyler, uh, not Tyler Linderbaum, but Bradley Bozeman. Bozeman. Yeah, with his with his arms up in the air, um, kind of because you know he got that block to spr- spring him for that big run. So I said I put down a B Bradley Bozeman esque as a pull blocker. Yeah, he's, he's he he does have Bozeman's athleticism, so I really want to see that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply you know, on the field in terms of, uh, of him making the most out of who he is. Uh, I would just love to love to see that. I did have one other condition. Um, I, I, other thing I want in year three is even though my, my goals for a great season are fairly modest, let's see, he has to have a minimum of about a C grade as I have it in 12 plus games and no serious questions about him as a starter. If, if he's not already penciled in as the 2024 starter at the end of 23, this wasn't a great season. It's it's got to be no question about it. He's he's the Ravens guy going forward, and maybe they're wondering if Fourier is actually ready to take over at right guard right away. That's fine, but no question. Cleveland's a solid starter. We got those four guys taken care of, kind of thing. Uh, can't have any doubt after twenty three. Yeah, yeah, that 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 be the last one I put in there too. That you know establish yourself as the clear cut starter heading into your final season, and maybe even be a candidate for. Uh, for extension this offseason if he, if he shows enough. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that'd be exciting because it's certainly the right time for it after year three. Uh, getting on to the next player, that's kind of a great segue uh, with Justin Matabike because he and Broderick Washington both coming out of year three. Um, I, I personally think because they only got one lineman signed, Travis Jones for 2024, that it would make a lot of sense to have one of those guys signed to it. To a, it would be hopefully a team friendly and player securing contract for 
you know, three more years, say. And it, it it's it's a right player, right place situation. I don't really care too much if it's Washington or if it's Matabike. Matabike is going to cost more. Washington's going to cost less. But I want to I want them to have one more defensive lineman secured and at a reasonable price for who he is, uh, so that they're not scrambling for defensive linemen next year. Yeah, and Ken, um, I'm telling you, man, I got a bad feeling that's, that that Matabike is going to be going to turn into a third round comp pick in 2025, man. I think this guy is poised for a huge year coming up, coming up this year. I mean, like, so, it's, so I, I don't expect a huge jump in his snaps just because you know. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Michael Pierce missed the chunk of the majority mm-hmm. of the season last year, so he was already seeing a, a pretty healthy spike in his playing time playing with Calais Campbell. But now with Campbell, Campbell gone, I think he, he will see a drastic uptick in his in his snaps this year. But it'll be enough to where like those five and a half sacks. That, I mean, dude might push double digit sacks this year. I mean, he's I, I really think he's on an upper trajectory to really break out this year. This is an interesting point you're bringing up because. I have a different angle on Matabike than you do. I, he played 59.3% of the snaps last year. That includes the playoffs to lead all the Ravens defensive linemen. That proved to be too much for him. And if you look at how he played, he played worse in the second half. His pass rushing really stopped. He was missing a lot of tackles in the second half. Um it, when he did play well, if you look at a game-by-game game basis, if you look at PFF, you look at my notes, whatever you want to look at, um, he was playing less than 35 snaps and playing well. Part of the problem was Pierce's injury immediately put more pressure on him to play on, on a lot more run and downs. That needs to stop. Okay, the Ravens have lots of good run defenders between the combination of Pierce, Jones, Washington, and Urban. Those guys all pretty much make their money as run defenders. Jones, maybe he's got something as a pass rusher. We just don't know yet. Washington, maybe he could provide a little more as a pass rusher. They did pretty decently as a pass rusher last year, but he's primarily a run defender. And Urban, of course, is a great space-denying five-tech uh, who can occasionally impact the pass, but basically just a, a, a guy who does more in your base defense to deny space and create plays for other players. But Matabike, he is a one-on-one matchup, a stunt nightmare who should be playing passing downs, but needs to have his snaps reduced in total. I don't want to see him on the field for 59.3% of the snaps. I want to see him playing 47% of the snaps and playing at a much higher level of efficiency this year. I mean, less is always less is always like can lead lead to like I'm not always less often leads to more. I mean, mm-hmm. like we saw with Justin Houston last year. You know, when you make that guy that designated pass rusher or just kind of bring him on those passing downs, the efficacy goes up. And uh, but my whole thing is just like given that I would say their, their lack of depth, but like if, if Travis Jones and Michael Pierce stay healthy this year, like I really think the the the, the mixture of Michael Pierce going down early and Travis Jones not being ready. Like at the start of the season, like you like you were saying, really kind of forced Matabike to play more early downs early on in the, in the year, and then Jones just never seemed like he was right even after he got back. And he even talked about that recently in, in on an episode of the Lounge Podcast on the Ravens Podcast Network. And he talked about how you know just coming off that injury after having such a strong training camp really kind of threw him off a little bit as, as a rookie. So year two for him, I think the health the health and, and health and, and the availability of, of those two guys in the middle will be the key to really kind of unlocking and not unlocking but freeing up Matabike to 
do what he does best, which is get after the passer and exploit those one on ones and those stunts and those twists. I think this guy can. I think I think he can definitely be join the double digit sack club this year. Oh, that's it. Would be it'd be fantastic, obviously, if he did. But I, I I wouldn't put that as the bar for either of these things. I will say this: with Calais Campbell gone, the Ravens need a defensive lineman to emerge as the guy who stays on the field with what will probably be three outside linebackers. You know, a kick-in guy and and two guys who are who are more traditional outside linebackers. I. I think Matabike is the guy the Ravens want it to be. But if Travis Jones outplays him, it could be Travis Jones. If Michael Pierce all of a sudden is pushing the pocket around like he's capable of at, at times, he could be the guy who stays on and plays more of those downs. So Matabike, that really needs to be his kind of exclusive turf. And I, I do feel like they're going to need to scheme ways when it's not just third and long, when it's not an obvious dime situation they really need to try and scheme ways to do two things for him. One is create stunt value for him. He can go over, he can go under. He's got all the all the ability to do either in the stunt game. So so you've got that. But also he, he's a guy who um, uh, is very effective working one on one against a, a guard. You know, in a one on one matchup against a guard, it's a, a lot of three techs. That's really what they live for is to get those one on one matchups. But even if he didn't get that, if you force the defense to completely pay attention to Matt Abike and that generates opportunities for others, that's another way to get value from him. But in either case, I think it means he's got to be fresher, more well-rested for those kind of pass rush snaps. And it's kind of a natural way to get him out of there on the, on the lineup on first and some second downs uh, to keep him rested on a snap-by-snap basis. He gets, a, he gets two or three snaps off in a row fairly regularly. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the increased rotation on the defensive line um, this this year for the Ravens. You know, with with Campbell gone, because Campbell's really kind of like a almost like you know the stalwart. He was kind of a guy that almost like never came off the field because um, he was like he was an elite run run defender and still had a lot of mm-hmm. provided some juice as a pass rusher. But I feel like with Campbell gone, it kind of not creates a void, but allows allows the guys who are you on the team now to kind of do more of what they do best. You know, it's going to allow Michael Pierce and Travis Jones to be those run pluggers and still be able to push the pocket. It's going to allow Justin Matabike to push the pocket even more and become that once a designated pass rusher on an interior, but kind of, you know, to kind of live more in that specialized role of, uh, you know, like, all right, this guy is going to be our, our NASCAR package guy. You know, it's like you said, the one defensive lineman that stays on the field when they bring on a Jabo and Owe and Bowser, and um, maybe Houston, if he comes back, who knows? Yeah. Maybe. I'm excited to see it, obviously, if it, if it does happen. Um, Matapika is a very odd case to me because he's got all the talent that you could hope for in the player. It's not a case of he needs to get better physically at something. It's not even really a case of him needing to change his approach to the game or the way he approaches pass rushing because I think that's pretty good. And when he's when – he's, been right and and had a very well-managed snap count. He's been very good. End of his rookie year, he was terrific. Uh, he was really good this last year when he was getting less play time. It's just a matter of usage. And I think, you know, the Ravens kind of were forced to overplay him a little bit last year with the, you know, the, the time that Campbell missed and the time that Michael Pierce was out just ended up being Matabike was a guy who had to pick up slack for, for several different players. And some of it was suboptimal. I, I, I do feel a little bit like his situation was a little bit similar to Adafi Owe. Owe having to go in and fill in for Bowser at the same linebacker position really wasn't a good fit. 
and uh, it, it really didn't take advantage of what OA did well. Yeah, and I kind of I kind of see um, Matabike because like you know I don't you know the the, the proliferation in, in, the, in the in the in the salaries for these interior defensive linemen, in particular three techniques this offseason has been like crazy. You know, you see guys getting paid out the wazoo, and I, and I kind of see Matabike in that similar tier. The guy like Ed Oliver who recently got paid for the Bills, you know, kind of like that, like not quite undersized, but you know, more slender, athletic interior defensive lineman who's who's, who's best with less. And you know could really be could really excel as an interior pass rusher, a pocket pusher who can exploit those one-on-one matchups with guards. So I kind of see him as that that, that second tier, like not quite not quite elite. Like you know, like I know we're going to get into the good and great seasons for them. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of see him in that tier with with all with the guy like like Oliver, who's kind of like those specialized or not specialized, but like you know better better fitted at getting after the passer than you know. Not, not saying he can't play play the run early downs because he's had some great plays against the run this past. But he's he's better utilized as we you know we've been going back and forth here. He's better utilized in all those later downs, those obvious passing downs when he can really turn up the heat. Yeah, Oliver is a very reasonable comp. Obviously, the ninth overall selection in 2019, so he's a year behind him. Uh, but yeah, definitely a guy who's had maybe a reasonably similar career in terms of his effectiveness. Not a, definitely not at the top end of the entire league and uh, it'd be an interesting one. Let me ask you this before we get into a good and great season. If you extend him right now before the season, what's your price on him? And let's, let's just toss it out there. It's a three-year extension and I'm really looking for AAV here. I think in terms of what you'd be willing to pay. Um, I, I, I given work, you know, like, see, that's the thing, man. He's, he's, like he's, I don't, I don't think he would sign a retention right now, just because I think he knows he's in store for a, a bigger year. Because like, if you look at his, you know, look at his, his stats and his and his production, it's been climbing each year he's been in the league. And so I, I think, I think he's going to be in store. But I, I kind of slide him like, like underneath what what Oliver got, what Oliver got. I, I don't think they're going to get him uh, any. Uh, he's, he's going to be at AAV of the, in the double digits. I, I, I believe. I, I just don't think he's going to settle for anything less than. Then, um, then I don't know. Like I said, I, without looking at the top of the defensive tackle market, but a guy like Ed Oliver, um, I'll, I'll pull up his on, on spot track right now. Um, he's but yeah, he's a he's a guy that I feel like uh, he's gonna get probably somewhere in it right underneath that. If not that, if he ends up having a better season than Ed Oliver's so right now, Ed Oliver's AAV is like seventeen million. Now, I don't think the Ravens are going to be willing to pay that, but no. I think if I think if they get him, if they can get him signed early to something underneath that, somewhere in like maybe like the eleven to twelve, thirteen range. But even then, I think I think Matabika would feel like he's lowballing himself, given that given that what he's seen guys at his position with similar similar production or at least on the same track have gotten paid this offseason. So I'm yeah, not saying right. he's, I'm not saying he's as good as gone, but man, it's going to be hard to keep him. Yeah, that that pretty much makes him out of their price range. I think they're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices after this year. It, it, it's, you know, Zeitler will be a difficult sacrifice, but they're going to have to make it. I'm afraid. You know, it, it, it's better to you got to make sure you're not holding the old maid at the wrong time, and the the wrong time to hold it is at the beginning of a contract. So you don't want to you don't want to have a guy who suddenly gets old at the beginning of a contract, and that really I don't think it's going to make sense to sign Zeitler for what he might make somewhere else. The Ed Oliver contract, I mean, it's a lot of money. And that guy's only 25 still. So I can see the reason why, you know, Buffalo might want to pay it. But it also, that's that's a cornerstone contract, no doubt about it. I don't see Maddox BK as a cornerstone guy. I see him as more of a, um, I think if the Ravens could get him for about three years and $25 million added to his contract, 
that might be what they think they could afford at the outside. I don't I don't see him at 35 million, for example, for three years. I think that would be too high. Yeah, that's why I thought like, I got a bad feeling. You know, like if they extend either, either guy, it's probably going to be Brody because he's the guy that's, you know, the Ravens like really always take, almost always take care of their underrated guys. You know, the yeah. guys who aren't, the guys who aren't, you know, the 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 brand names or may not average five, six, seven sacks a year on, on defense, but those those gritty guys, because like every time you hear a Ravens defensive lineman talk about him, they talk about how Brody's like, I mean, Brody can do it all. Brody's this, Brody's that. You know, they almost talk about him more than they talk about Matabike just because he's such an underrated player nationally, but, you know, in, inside, you know, people who follow the team and know the team and hear everything coming out of the out of the castle know that, you know, Ravens are really high on Brody um, and that, you know, he's a guy that's probably going to be a, the prime candidate to get extended between the two of them just because Matabike, um, like I said, he plays a more high, I wouldn't say plays a more high profile, high profile position because interior pass rush is becoming more of a premium across the league, but he's a guy that's kind of been there, done that as far as like putting up the notable sack numbers for an interior defensive lineman, and he himself is only 25 years old. I'm not sure exactly how old Broderick is. Um, I can I can pull that up, but um, I, I'd said I, I just don't believe that uh, might be as long for Baltimore, sadly. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Brody, yes, he Brody's already 26 and he'll be 27 in December, so. Okay, well, obviously, a couple of years older than Oliver was when he got paid. Uh, you know, nothing in terms of trajectory or snap count or you know their their play to date would suggest that Washington is going to get at Oliver money. So, I, I, yes, I agree with you. I think it's probably the more likely signing. You 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 started earlier with the with the notion that you think it'd be terrible that Justin Matabike is going to leave town as a third round comp pick. I actually think that's probably the best situation for the Ravens. No, I don't, no, I don't think it's terrible. I said, I, I, said <laughs> I got a, I said, I got a, I got a feeling like a bad, like when I say bad feeling, that, that, that I'm gonna regret it. But I just like, I got a strong feeling that you know he's not long for this team and for this okay. city. I, I first of all, I'll, I'll buy into your plan A right away. I'll sign up for it right now in terms of the Ravens losing for a third round comp pick, and he has the kind of year that that uh, entails, <laughs> you know, to to earn that mm-hmm. contract. But let's talk about what a good and a great season is for uh, for Matabike. Do you want to go first or second on these? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. So, um, good a good season, kind of like you know what he did what he did last year. You know, like I said, as far as, as far as his, his his stats and effectiveness, you know, like five and a half sacks, just like you know, I would say like running in the back, but like kind of same thing. What he did, like so he was really good last year. That to me, that's a good season. You know, guys, he's going to be available for most of not every game. You know, like like unquestioned starter. Um, kind of helps take over that. Elias Campbell role as far as you know not only leadership and but also like from an on on the field standpoint um, because uh, he's a guy that I feel like the Ravens are going to lean heavy on this year um, not just not just on the field but also off the field. That's that's a, a reasonable set of things. I, I I approached it from a different angle because we're, again we're talking about a 60th percentile season here. So this would be a little bit above average. What I'd say is his run role is limited. I think it's again very important in this. But he plays on the bulk of passing downs. I think I do think that will happen, that he'll likely be the guy the Ravens turn to for that, assuming he's healthy, of course. And that he generates consistent, solid pressure without a second-half wear down. And again, that is so important. The Ravens have got to find a way to figure out how to keep him fresh. Fresh by game and fresh for the season both uh, as he as he goes through. So I, to me, that's a that's a good season. Doesn't doesn't have to generate a ton of sacks. Just has to generate some pressure, some attention, some something that helps some other players in the process, um, and, and you know it's certainly a little bit of pressure and, and some 
ability to win one-on-one matchups with that. But that would be a good season to me. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I mean, Dilmer. I love I love sacks, and you know, I place a high volume on him as well. Sometimes when it comes with interior interior pass rushers, sometimes pressure is going to be just as, if not even more, valuable than sacks because you're disrupting that play up the middle immediately. You're forcing the quarterback to roll out and creating sacks for others, or creating like negative plays or throwaways. So sometimes yeah. I feel like for interior, they, sometimes you're like, man, why does he seem playing this guy? He only this this defensive tackle all this money. He only got like. It's like, you know, three sacks or, or four sacks. Well, if you look at his pressure rate and his pressure numbers, you know, like those things are just as gold, if not even more, than sacks. Yeah, uh, they uh, they are. And a lot of people will tell you, PFF included, that they're they're more indicative of what's going to happen the following year. It's a more stable statistic than stacks and sacks. And so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to see that from Matabike. I'll go ahead with great season if that's okay. To me, a great season for Matabike, and it's out there. He, he could do it. And this would go with your original, you know, hope that he might go after, with for a third round compact is he becomes a voracious pass rushy presence, regardless of his snap burden. And I think I'd say if he does that, it doesn't matter whether he's playing a lot of run snaps or a few run snaps. It, what's, what's going to really matter is, is he getting it done as a pass rusher in those snaps? And that includes a lot of success with stunts and schemed one-on-one wins. I do believe that, uh, McDonald is a guy who will figure out a way to use Matabike optimally in this next year. And particularly with Campbell gone, it's going to mean a lot to see to see how it goes. Pressure exists, you know, for defensive coordinators when they lose a lot of key position groups. And one, one group that I come back to looking at, the 1996 Ravens, not only did they lose a whole bunch of defensive linemen, but they were forced – in season to switch from a 4-3 to a 3-4 defense because of all the injuries they had that you know it can get that bad now the ravens in years since with their rotational system and the general ability to to find body types they like out there on the street have not been forced into that kind of a situation since but it can be really bad in matabike's case anything that really pressures his snap count upwards i'm opposed to I, i think the ravens need to look at it very carefully and say how do we need to address him playing too much on first and second down such that he's not available at his top efficiency on third down? So the last part of that is that he draws attention of defenses and improves the chances for other pass rushers in addition to these one-on-one wins. Yeah, that was kind of like your your last point was kind of like my, my main point was, the, you know, like take his, take his pass rush to the next level and also create more opportunities for others by taking this to the next level. Because if he, if he racks up like, like you know, like say seven sacks for the first 11 weeks, something crazy like that, teams are going to pay a lot more attention yeah. to him. And then he's going to free up more guys like Travis and, and Brody and, and, and Pierce and even some of the more – some of the outside guys or some of the guys on the outside who might – Kicking inside like a Tavius Robinson or a Dafe Owe. So if he turns up, that means that means there's gonna be more attention on him and less on his other people. Kind of the tide that races all ships, kind of thing. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this. So Travis Jones is obviously a key player for the Ravens' defensive line over the next several years because he's the only one who's signed. But in terms of of what the Ravens get out of him this year, do you want to see him getting a lot of those three tech snaps on early downs that would have would have gone to Matabike last year? Or might have gone to Washington as well, but so a, a combination of Pierce and Jones, I am absolutely foaming at the mouth to see that this year in terms of of, of how that could perform in terms of early down pass rush. And, and and in particular, Pierce pushes the pocket effectively, but I really want to see Travis Jones get one on one opportunities versus the guard as a three tech. 
Yeah, and that was gonna be my, my my next thing. Is my next point I wanted to make. I'd love to see Travis Jones like say because remember a few years back when they did that with um with with Brandon Williams and and and, and Michael Pierce. Pierce. Yeah, yeah, they they wanted them both on the field at the same time, so they switch they they swapped um, um Brandon Williams to to three tech and then Pierce stay that stay that nose. So seeing something similar like that, I think that was the year that Brandon Williams might have made the Pro Bowl as an alternate or something like that. So I feel like. I feel like the guy, like a guy like like Travis Jones, he's capable of playing multiple spots across the defensive uh, interior front. I wouldn't put him at five technique. He's a guy who's big enough, strong enough, sturdy enough to play three technique at a high level, especially for those early rundowns where teams are going to be trying to you know run at, especially in the AFC North. When you look around the teams that the Ravens are going to be playing, the Bengals put more of an emphasis on on the run last season. The Steelers always believe in kind of like run run first thing, even though you know they got some more weapons for Kenny Pickett this offseason. And then the Browns with Nick Chubb, you know that's going to be a a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, uh, two very key players for the Ravens. Josh, really appreciate you coming on and talking about them. And I, I think this this was an interesting discussion. I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work online. Yes, yeah, so you can find all my all my Ravens stuff at Heavy on Ravens uh, for Heavy Incorporated under under their sports section. And um, I, I work also work full time at the Anchorage Daily News up here in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, where I was born and raised. And um, you can also find me on Twitter. Um, talk to me on Twitter about anything and all things Ravens, man. At uh, Josh Reed nine zero seven nine zero seven. All right. Outstanding, Josh. Uh, uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, there's still time this off season. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll get back to you really quickly. Uh, Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me as always, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.